The StoryCast is supported by you every time you click on our Amazon banner and shop. So head over to StoryCastPodcast.com and click or bookmark our Amazon ad. And we get a kickback on every order you make every time. Simple as that. Thanks. We tread upon it. We love it. And we loathe it. It physically fills the gaps of just about every place we go in our daily lives. It is so commonplace, we probably rarely even ever give its existence a second thought, other than micromanaging its growth and realizing when it's gone. It feeds our livestock, cushions our children's feet. We love its aroma, but only when it's freshly cut. It sets the playing field for our sport, grounds our earth, and beautifies our land. It's something overlooked and underappreciated, yet so embroidered into our day-to-day existence and collective colloquialisms that once we go that extra yard to realize its true impact, those blades between our toes may just feel softer and stronger and more mighty than before. We're talking about grass, of course, but grass isn't really about grass. It's about growth. This time on the StoryCast, Tales of Growth and Wonder. Okay, let me just blow you away about grass for a few minutes. Trust me, it's more interesting than you think. I present the story of grass. There are over 10,000 types of grass species in the world, which is really quite incredible. There are some plants of grass from over 1,000 years ago that are still living today. Grasslands are estimated to make up over 20% of the vegetation cover on Earth. That's kind of a big deal. You can find grass in several different types of habitats, but they tend to dominate both temperate and tropical areas. Grass is in many of the foods and drinks we consume, including sugar, bread, beer, and whiskey. Grass fundamentally feeds our livestock around the world and so essentially grows the food source and the consumers, both animals and us. Grass not only makes up a lot of our food consumption, it's also used for construction materials and roofs around the world. The fiber from grasses is also used in the making of paper. Because of the high demand of artificial grass for such places as sport arenas, the grass producing industry is a multi-million dollar business. But quite possibly the most unique thing about grass is that grasses have evolved to grow at their base instead of their tips in order to protect themselves, unlike most plants. This allows them to be grazed or burned without receiving any damage to the growing points and allows them to regrow quickly. And grow quickly, it does. Your typical lawn has about six grass plants per square inch, which means the average lawn could have millions of grass plants. And that's just one lawn. And we do love our lawns for the most part. But we didn't always have a love affair with our lawns. In fact, it wasn't until the Industrial Revolution that lawns became practical for most Americans. Lawns were seen as a luxury expense for only the wealthy who could afford groundskeepers to maintain the finely bladed plants using scythes. Not everyone wanted cattle or sheep grazing in the front yard to keep the green stuff at a manageable height, as did Woodrow Wilson while occupying the White House. Yes, President Wilson had sheep on the White House front lawn. But this mowing en natural was actually an effort to draw attention to what could be done to free up men to fight and help with the shortages of wool during World War I. 
The wool was auctioned off for $100,000 and given to the Red Cross. And it wasn't just Wilson. Earlier presidents Washington and Jefferson had both used sheep to keep their home lawns at manageable heights. Green, weed-free lawns so common today didn't exist in America until the late 18th century. Instead, the area just outside the front door of a typical rural home was typically packed dirt, or perhaps a cottage garden that contained a mix of flowers, herbs, and vegetables. In England, however, many of the wealthy had sweeping green lawns across their states. Americans with enough money to travel overseas returned to the U.S. with images of the English lawn firmly planted in their imaginations. But try as we might, it wasn't as easy to reproduce a beautiful English lawn. After all, they couldn't just run down to the local hardware store and pick up a bag of grass seed. Grasses native to America proved unsuitable for a tidy and well-controlled lawn and our extreme climate was less than hospitable to the English grass seeds. By 1915, the U.S. Department of Agriculture was collaborating with the U.S. Golf Association to find the right grass or combination of grasses that would create a durable, attractive lawn suitable to the variety of climates found in America. It took us 15 years, but we discovered the right grass combinations that would work in our climates. And as that grass grew, we were often running to find the most suitable pesticides, herbicides, and fertilizers that would protect and serve this newly blended mix of grasses. But the right grass and the right treatments weren't the only problems facing homeowners wanting the perfect lawn. There was also the challenge of providing enough water to keep the grass green in the summer. It wasn't easy hauling a bucket of water out to the yard during the summer droughts. Until the invention of the garden hose and the rotary mower, Americans would struggle to keep lawns green and trim and perfect. And that quest for lawn perfection is a really big problem today. Right now, American lawns occupy more than 30 million acres of land. Lawn mowers, to maintain them, account for 5% of the nation's air pollution. And each year, more than 17 million gallons of fuel are spilled during the refilling of lawn and garden equipment. And that's more than the oil that the Exxon Valdez spilled. Annually, homeowners spend billions of dollars and typically use 10 times the amount of pesticide and fertilizer per acre on their lawns as farmers do on crops. And the majority of these chemical pollutants become runoff and a major source of water pollution. Last but not least, somewhere between 30 to 60% of urban fresh water is used on lawns. And most of that water is wasted due to poor timing and application. So grass grows and we cut it and we water it so it grows into a perpetual cycle of the penultimate lawn perfection. Now imagine for a moment the cascading repercussions of all of that time, money, effort, and water poured into the ground, not for grass, but to grow food for ourselves and our families and other people. And just as the grass grows, so do the many phases of our lives. And just as the grass dies, so it is with our journey. This short story is inspired by true events. It's titled Threes, and it's written by me, Russell Silva. We could just about smell the sea breeze. That's how close we were. The blades of the grass all around us swayed in the breeze. That was the one constant, at least. For the entirety of this eight-hour drive from my little college town to our shoreside mecca on the coast, the swaying grass 
have been all around us. It first started off as dead, high growth, soon to be baled into hay for sure. And now just a few dozen miles from the humid breezy coast, the wind-swept grass shone lush and green in the afternoon sun. My significant other, let's call her Jay, stared steady at the wheel of her Dodge Neon eyes ahead, as were mine. We'd both been doing that for some time now. Long story short, it was over. Jay and I, it, it wasn't over, but it would be. And it definitely hadn't been over a mere eight hours before we began this trek. This fun in the sun, this much anticipated vacation. The kind that two struggling college kids, and we were kids, saved up for in funds and vacation days all summer long. They say bad things happen in threes, and they do. Our first grim omen reared its face in that first stretch of highway just out of town. On that jaded, too good to be true first hour of any drive out of town where spirits are high, and they were. But then, the bird. It was just an ordinary bird. A robin, perhaps, or a finch. It didn't matter. That poor bird, it came careening, dive-bombing, even, into the neon's windshield as we cooked down the highway at well over 75 miles an hour. There was blood on the windshield. The bird was finished. It was over. Such an unwitting shock rushed over us. An experience, that sudden and horrific death in the light of such a sunny outlook on the trip, it just didn't seem right. That something so perfect could come to an end so suddenly. But it had. And I'd be lying if I said that that unfortunate flight of the bird didn't put a damper on the next few hours of the drive. It was just plain weird. One of those sickening wrong place wrong time moments. Like everything seemed so perfect, but something just kind of got in the way. The bird? It's not something that happens, but somehow it did. But on we continued down the road to our beachside getaway. And we'd drive and talk and bicker a bit like couples do. We weren't perfect, but who is? The second bad thing happened a few more hours in. It was Jay's neck. Just as sudden and shocking as the bird, I from the passenger seat even heard the dull thud. Out of the blue, her neck popped violently, even as she sat there driving, docile, reserved. The sudden noise and perhaps the jolt of pain stunned her so much that she hit the brakes and pulled over. And she cried, and my heart raced. My neck, Jay said. Your neck what? I wondered. The weird pop in her neck, it would turn out to be nothing, but somehow it was. It scared her so much. The realization that health and life and that being together, it can so suddenly screech to a halt. It was so jarring, she was sure something was wrong, that severe damage had occurred. But there was no problem to fix, at least as we saw it. Perhaps it was a warning sign of a larger, chronic issue in her neck. But for now, we continued on through the grassy fields and toward the coast. The neck, it's not something that happens, but somehow it did. And then the third bad thing happened, and it makes for a poor story because it wasn't a thing at all. What it was, was several hours of arguing and fighting and frustration, and well more than one dramatic joust to threaten to turn the car around and forego the vacation to cancel our plans altogether. But yet, we continued on. We continued on that drive and with the week on the coast exploring and gift shopping and beach walking and seafood sampling and love making as young couples in love do. And we ignored that third bad thing, that ugly, ugly fight in the car about nothing yet about everything. We forgot all about it for a week as if the fight and the neck and the bird 
as if all those sudden, horrible, tragic things never occurred, as if all was perfect and life should continue on, and that it's not something that happens, but somehow it did. They say grass will grow just about anywhere. Maybe that's a lot like love, that given the space and the time and the sunshine, we blossom and we grow and grow and die off just when the time's right. The same day we came home, Jay and I would be over, as dead as the bird and as shocking as the neck and as sickening as the fight. We would be through, as we should have been. Because sometimes there's only so much growing you can do before you need to cut it off. So there we were. We could just about smell the sea breeze. That's how close we were. Or just about how close we had been the week before. And we said goodbye. It's not something that happens. But somehow, it did. That was the one constant, at least. And just as the grass grows, it dies. And it grows again. And then in some circles, grass means something else entirely. This is Louis C.K. live from the Beacon Theater in 2011 on smoking pot and growing up. I can't smoke pot because it's the same thing. I'm too old for it. Sometimes young people come up to me after shows, hey, do you want to smoke some pot? I'm like, can I get my portion to smoke without you alone later? Because I don't want to stand in a parking lot with some 20-year-olds. Last time I got high... I was in Kansas City, and I got high because I was in Kansas City, and it was shitty. So after the show, so these kids that worked at the club, they're like, you want to smoke some pot? I'm like, yes. So I'm standing in a parking lot with these kids, like 20 years old, and we're smoking a joint. And I'm taking huge hits because I had no idea. I didn't know they'd been working on this shit like it's the cure for cancer. I didn't understand the fucking technology that's gone into making pot so powerful. Because when I was a kid, you could just smoke a joint for a while. Now you take two hits and you go insane. It's not doable anymore. And I, I was taking big hits, like big 1970s jean jacket bad company hits. Here come the jesters! One, two, three! It's all part of my fantasy! And I'm like, yeah. And even the kid with the wooden hole of no ear, the absence of flesh in his ear with wood, I don't know what that is. Even he was like, that, you should be careful, that's a lot of pot. That's very strong marijuana. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. Running with the devil! Just fucking, and in about 10 seconds, everything just And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> this is an ordeal now. <laughs> I'm not gonna feel okay for a very long time. <sighs> and everybody's just standing around and talking, and I'm hoping, like I'm really hoping that I look like this.
but I'm pretty sure that I was just scanning insanely. I was actually counting, like, look at her for five, four, three, two, one. Switch to him. Five, four, three, two. Randomize. Don't go in the same direction. Five, four, three. Nod your head. That looks like you're listening if you nod your head. Ha, ha, ha. And at one point I realized I need to get out of here because the air is hitting my arm weirdly and they can tell. They totally know that I'm not handling the way air is touching my arm right now. Why am I doing that with my hand? That's weird to do that with your hand. Nobody stands like this. Nobody stands like this. Just fucking, no, that's also, that's weird too. That's crazy. Just, shit, I gotta go. But I didn't know how to leave because I had this dilemma. We're all standing in a perfect circle facing each other. And I thought it's gonna be insane if I just turn my, I'm one person with my back now. Do I just back away like this and hope that they fill in? And then I thought, no, say something. Say something out loud to them that smooths the transition of you leaving. Okay, what do I say? Pick a thing to say, goodbye. That's a, that's a nightmare. That's just goodbye. That's not even, that's just noises. Finally, I walked away and I said, I'm leaving! And I, I know it was that bad because they all went, oh shit, okay, all right. Whoa. Like, I'll never see those people again as long as I live. And then I had to get in the car. I forgot that I had rented a car and I have to drive back to the hotel. And I'm driving on this highway in Missouri. And at one point I realized, I think it's been about 25 minutes since I looked out the front window of this car. <laughs> I've just been dealing with shit directly in. Oh, <laughs> uh, shit. There's a whole spectrum of responsibility out here. I'm supposed to take part in this. And then at one point, I remember I was at a drive-through and I was terrified because there's a lady sticking her head out a window and she's mad. She's going, sir, sir. And I just kept saying, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know. I had the window closed. I had no fucking idea. What part of the transaction am I? Did I pay yet? Have I ordered? Did I, have I been sitting here for 40 minutes just eating? At the window and I ate the paper and everything? Sir! And I just went, I know, I don't want it! And I just fucking bolted. So I can't do that anymore. The StoryCast will be back in two weeks with more eclectic stories wrapped in an intriguing theme.